Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Bright Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Bright. In the middle of a series at the moment called Issues of the Heart. And I think this is such an important series because who knows that the heart can get a little bit complicated sometimes, right? The heart... Sometimes it's awesome and sometimes it drives us to do wonderful things and make great choices. And then there are the times that our heart drives us to make some pretty poor and stupid decisions. So our heart can get a little bit cheeky and a little bit mischievous at times and sometimes we need to really check in to see if we can trust it. So we've spent a couple of weeks on this so far. We've spoken about anger, forgiveness, the importance of faith. And I'm not going to tell you just now what I'm preaching on tonight because I reckon in just a moment when I give you an example, you're probably going to be able to guess. But as I said, this is such an important series, again, because no one is immune to the issues of the heart, right? Everyone lives life. Everyone has experiences that challenge our heart and no one is immune to the issues of the heart. So got an illustration for you. I want to see if you can guess what I'm speaking on. Now, if you are a parent here uh, today, or maybe you've been a kid before. Now, just so you know, that qualifies every single person in this room. (laughs) Okay, if you have been a kid before, that's everyone, right? You might have had this experience. So, you know, as a kid, you have this toy and this toy is the best toy. This toy is great. You love this toy. You could play with this toy for like an hour, which is a very big accomplishment for a kid, let me tell you. And so this toy is great and you love it. Until until the kid over there, especially if that kid happens to be your sibling, until they have another toy. And all of a sudden your toy is no longer the best toy, but that toy, that toy over there, that is the best toy. And you need that toy or life just is not fair. Or how about this one? You know, as a kid, when uh, when mum or dad bring home juice. That's an exciting day when you're a kid and mum or dad bring home juice. Now it doesn't matter if they weighed it or measured it to the milliliter. Somehow the other sibling always has more juice than you have, right? You're looking at the glasses and you're like, "Mm, let me just check. Somehow the other person always has more and life just isn't fair. Now maybe this is coming because I'm the youngest of four kids and so life is rough as the youngest, right? All the youngest say, yeah. All the eldest say, no. <laughs> I get it all the time. Maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but how about this one? How about the front seat? You know, your parents could do a roster for the kids in the front seat, but somehow the other sibling always gets the front seat more than you do. They always get the front seat. Why do they always get the front seat? Life's not fair. You know, there's this feeling that we get through life that tells us that life isn't fair and it's this feeling of jealousy. And that is what I'm speaking on tonight. You know, we can look at this as adults and we're like, that is just ridiculous. Who cares if you have more or less juice? It's the same, who cares? You get some again, get in the car, right? Your juice is going down the bin, I don't even care. It's going down the sink, whatever. We look at it and we think that is ridiculous. But you know, I'm so convinced that jealousy, it's actually not a kid issue, it's a human issue. And as we could become adults, it doesn't really change so much. The only thing that changes is that our toys get bigger. Yeah. Adults just have bigger toys, but jealousy is all the same. 
You know, I don't know what your example of jealousy is here today. I don't know what your experience is. Maybe for you, you're doing a little bit of scrolling recently. And is it just me or does it seem like everyone is having a holiday to Queensland at the moment? Everyone is holidaying to Queensland, including Pastor Ben and Pastor Sarah, who did not hold back sending very sunny pictures the other week while it was hailing here. So thanks for that. But you're kind of scrolling through and you're like, that holiday looks really good. Oh, I really like what they're wearing. That's cool. I really want that. I want to actually, I just want to be like them. Oh, look at that job they just got. If I had that job, Oh, imagine what I could do if I had that job. Well, they just got that car. Gosh, how much money do they have? I want to have that much money. What do I need to do? What job do I need to do to to get that? To get that car, to get that house? You know, I don't know what jealousy looks like for you. Maybe you're a parent here and you're looking at the way that other kids are behaving and you're thinking, I want their kids. Why can't I have their kids? Why can't my kids behave like that? We're going to take a look um, at what the Bible says about jealousy. In Proverbs 27, 4, it says this, Wrath is cruel, anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? I find this passage so interesting. You know, in the New Living Translation, it says this, Anger is cruel and wrath is like a flood, but jealousy is even more dangerous. So interesting that the writer here, Solomon, that he would compare jealousy with anger like that. You know, when I think of anger, I think, ooh, not great. Like some of the consequences of anger, not great, right? And, you know, I work as an occupational therapist with kids and I work with a lot of emotions and I talk a lot about emotions. And the therapist in me can't stand here and say anger is all bad or jealousy is all bad, okay? Emotions are emotions. We feel things and you don't have to feel guilty about that. But what you do with that emotion is really important. I'm not talking about just the fleeting feeling of it. I'm talking about when it actually takes a hold of your heart and it starts to change your behaviour and it starts to change the way that you perceive and see the world around you. You see, it's really important that we read this scripture that what we don't do is lessen the bar of anger, right? And be like, well, I don't see jealousy as that bad, so maybe anger's not as bad as I thought it was. We can't lessen the bar of anger, but we need to raise that of jealousy. The writer here is trying to prove a point to show just how dangerous jealousy actually is. I think it's really important to mention at this point that, you know, some people here might be thinking, but isn't God a jealous God? And that can actually be really confusing because, yeah, the Bible does describe God as a jealous God and God does get jealous. Now, the difference here is is that God appropriately desires after the things that belong to him. We, however, desire after what does not belong to us. So that is very different. Our experience of jealousy is very different to to the character of a righteous God. It's very different than the way that God desires after what is already his. You know, we see jealousy all throughout the Bible. You know, it's jealousy that drove Joseph's brothers to sell him to slavery. It's pretty significant. You know, it's jealousy that was in the religious leaders' hearts in Jesus' day that ended up getting him to drive, you know, driving Jesus to the cross. It was jealousy that was in their hearts. But one story that we see in the Bible that um, really looks at this idea of jealousy that I want to focus on today is that of Saul and David. I'm going to get a little bit more into that story in a moment. I'm going to give a bit of context for it. But 
as we talk about Saul and David, I think you'll see how jealousy is destructive and drowns out any rationale. Jealousy is destructive and drowns out any rationale. So if you want to read this story for yourself at some point, uh, you'll find it in 1 Samuel chapters 15 to 31. Now, that's a good 16 chapters of scripture, right? So I'm going to save us all tonight and we're not going to read 16 chapters of scripture and I'm going to do my best to summarise for you succinctly and in a way that makes as much sense as possible without leaving out too many of the important parts. You're welcome, Tristan. You're welcome. So here we see the story of Saul and David. Now, Israel, right, the nation of Israel, they had these things called judges. They actually didn't have kings, okay? They had judges. And Israel, looking at the nations around them, ironically, were like, we want a king. We want a king. They were jealous after the other nations. They wanted a king. They're like, God, we want a king. Why do they have a king? I want a king. So God says, fine, you can have a king. So he has the prophet Samuel and he and he is asked to anoint and appoint someone to be king. And he anoints this man named Saul and Saul becomes the first king of Israel. Now Saul, he starts um, stepping into this, you know, role as king and God gave some direct commands to Saul, which were really important that he followed. But he didn't. So he, on one occasion, uh, he broke a command that God had asked him to follow and he broke it. So then uh, God sent the prophet Samuel uh, to say, Saul, you will still be king, but your successor will not be of your own line. Okay. Now, Saul then has the audacity to break another command later on. And then the prophet Samuel comes to him and says, Saul, you will no longer be king for as long as planned. And also your successors will still not be from your line. Okay, so this is where we find Saul, right? Now, the prophet Samuel needs to appoint a new king. So he finds a shepherd boy by the name of David. Now, if anyone here has heard the story of David and Goliath, I'm not going to go into it too much today, but it's that David. Okay, it's the David and Goliath David that we're talking about. Okay, so David, uh, he... Uh, stones down with his slingshot and with incredible faith in God, uh, a giant named Goliath. And by doing that, he essentially saves the nation of Israel and against the Philistines, right? After this, he wins favour with Saul. It's as though David can do no wrong. Everything David touches, God blesses. Battles, he is successful in. Everything he does. You know, have you got that friend that's just good at everything and it's kind of annoying? I think that was David, okay? He's that friend, right? So everything David did, he was successful in. And he found a lot of favour with Saul. He was almost like a son to Saul. And then all of a sudden, something went wrong and everything changed. And we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel 18, verse 6 to 9. And it says this, As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. This was a turning point for Saul because jealousy came and it grabbed a hold of his heart. You see, Saul, he had already lost favour with God and he knew that. 
And so for Saul, he found his security in his popularity, popularity and status with people. So to hear himself compared to David in this way is actually compromising his security because all of a sudden David is finding popularity and status with people, which is the only thing that Saul has to hold on to. See, this turned from David being Saul's protege, essentially. It turned Saul from being supportive of David to actually really dangerous to David. It turned him from being joyful through David's successes to just being envious and angry of any success that David had. And so Saul sought out to kill him, to kill David. You know, you think, I might, I, I just, I wouldn't go that far. Now, I hope that's true, okay? I hope that's true. It's pretty extreme. But the thing is, is that jealousy is irrational. And jealousy will make you do things that you never thought that you would do. You know, as I said, I'm an occupational therapist. I work with kids. And so I read a lot of children's books, okay? And some of the children's books that I read are on emotions. There's two books in particular that I wanted to mention tonight. One of these is called The Green-Eyed Goblin. And this is a story on jealousy. And the other one is called The Red Beast. And that is a story on anger. And I think both are relevant because I think jealousy is actually so closely linked with this feeling of anger that stirs up in us. And so in these stories, they use these little characters and as these characters wake up inside us, they become, they become bigger and they start to take over. Now the red beast, his eyes become small, his ears become small and his mouth becomes bigger, yeah. right? And the green-eyed goblin, well, he, his nose gets long like Pinocchio and this green mist starts to come out a bit like poison and it starts to cover our eyes from being able to see clearly and starts to tell us lies. And, you know, I think these are actually such great illustrations. You know, I know they're for children's books, but they're just as relevant for adults because who knows that sometimes when we feel jealous, our ears get small. We can't listen to the rationale of the people around us. Our eyes become small and there's a mist almost over them that we can't see clearly anymore. And we start to believe the lies that are being told to us. You know, do you have anyone in your life that projects? Like they're a projector, kind of like me before with being the youngest sibling, I had to just get it out. You know, they project what they're feeling must be what you're feeling, right? Have you got any of those people in your life? Maybe don't look at them if they're here right now. But, you know, that person, that was Saul. Saul was a projector. Because he desired that status and recognition, he then projected that to David and assumes he must want my throne, You see, Saul, he longed after what David had. He longed after the blessing that was on David's life. But I'm so convinced that David probably didn't care if he was king or not, to be honest, because David was just busy following after the plan that God had for his life. You know, we can listen to this and think, wow, Saul, like you really messed up. You know, Saul, you're a bad guy. David's the golden boy. We all want to be like David. But reality is, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're probably not too dissimilar from Saul. You know, isn't it true that we so often long for status and recognition, for to please people, for popularity? Do we not often step outside of our own lane and we're like, I like the life they're living, what do I have to do to get that? Isn't it so true that the grass is always greener on the other side and in the middle of that, that we can forget that actually God has a unique purpose and plan for our own life that is greater than what we could ever imagine for ourselves. You know, the thing about the world around us is that 
this idea of status and recognition is promoted. Think about school. There's always a cool group, right? Everyone wants to be in the cool group. It's in all the movies, right? Think about fame. It's this thing you want to be famous. Our world just idolises this idea of status and recognition. And if we're not really careful, we can start to believe that in our own lives and allow that to actually have a place in our own lives. You see, God, he doesn't care about appearance, but he cares about attitude. For Saul, he was king, right? Which meant that everything that David accomplished for the nation of Israel, every battle that he won for the nation of Israel actually should have been a success to Saul. It was a success to Saul every time that David won because it then gave him glory as the king of Israel. But Saul didn't care about the nation. He didn't care about what God wanted and what God wanted for Israel. He only cared about himself because his attitude was for himself. And because of that, instead of seeing these successes and victories and wins as joy, it only fueled his fear and insecurity. You see, the thing about insecurity is it fuels fear. And insecurity and fear fuel jealousy. And jealousy fuels insecurity. And insecurity fuels jealousy. And jealousy fuels insecurity. And insecurity fuels jealousy. And jealousy fuels... Which fuels... Which fuels... Which fuels... Yeah, okay, so we get it, right? It's an ongoing cycle. It's an ongoing cycle. I want to encourage you today, if you are sitting here and you're thinking, actually, yeah, I actually do get really insecure. Or maybe you're sitting here and you feel really discontent today. I just want to encourage you that wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, God is the answer. You see, God has a unique purpose and plan for your life. He cares for you and he tells you who he thinks you are. He calls you a son and daughter of the King Most High. He allows you to be in his presence as we were talking about before. So if you feel insecure and discontent, I want to encourage you that God has a plan for you and for your life. And he is the answer. You know, it's really uh, interesting to me when we look at the story of Saul and David, because as Saul's, you know, gone out to kill David, David actually has two opportunities to kill Saul. And the men around him are saying, surely God has delivered him into your hand. Like, go ahead and kill him. This would just solve all of your problems. Why wouldn't you just take the opportunity and kill him? And you actually think that's a really good question. Why wouldn't he do that? And I think there's a lesson for us to learn in this. You see, if David was to have killed Saul in that moment, it would have meant that he was grasping the promise for himself and taking it into his own hands. You see, David, he viewed, if he was to be king, he knew that that was a gift from God. And if he was to take that into his own hands and grasp for for it himself, it would have no longer been a gift that God had given him because it wasn't the right timing. You know, how often do we give in to doing the same rather than waiting for what God has for us, rather than waiting for the promises that God has for us? We try to take them in our own hands in that gap of time out of envy or desire or impatience. And we try to take that rather than waiting for the gift, we take it into our own strength. You know, the issue with doing this is that when we do that, we actually make the promises that God has for us about ourselves. But who knows that the promises that God has is actually to glorify Him. 
and it's actually not about us. And so when we take matters into our own hands and when we, yeah, when we do that, well, the, we make the promise about ourselves instead of glorifying God. Yeah. You know, if we grasp for our own successes, it's not a gift anymore. Now, don't get me wrong, we have to take a really active role in this, okay? If you're sitting on your couch and you're thinking, God's just going to bless me and I'm going to live out my, my calling from the couch, you know, the, the timing will come, I don't have to do anything, please don't do that. Okay, we need to take an active role in the plans that God has for us. But the idea is that we're led by God, not that we take the lead. You see, Saul, he tried to take the lead. So he jumped ahead of God, which is what led him to disobey his commands in the first place. Whereas David, he allowed himself to be led by God and he allowed himself to wait on God's timing. You know, it's no surprise to anyone here today that actions have consequences. Right, you drop your phone in the wrong way, it smashes. It's very annoying. Actions have consequences. You know, if I fall right now and I and I and I break, you know, I, I might hurt myself. Actions have consequences. That's no surprise to anyone here today. But allowing jealousy to take place in our heart also has its consequences. Now that might look like you getting hurt. That might look like breaking of relationships and destruction in that way. It might look like insecurity and discontentment as we were talking about. It might look like bitterness, anxiety, depression. It could look like many different things, but I guarantee you this. I guarantee you that if you allow jealousy to take a place in your heart, you will not be able to love people in the way that God has called you to. Because when we get jealous, it makes it really hard to rejoice in others' successes. And if we can't do that, then we can't love people the way that God has asked us to. See, Saul, he became jealous because he was comparing the life that God had put on someone else with his own life. And he was comparing himself. You know, there's this saying, um, comparison is a trap, right? And I think this is a great saying. In fact, I say it to myself all the time, you know, flicking through, seeing the holidays, comparison's a trap, Ruth, comparison's a trap. Comparison is a trap. That's right, comparison is a trap. So I use this saying in my own life all the time. But as I was preparing for this message, I actually thought, you know what, we could probably take this a step further. Comparison is, I believe, actually the bait of the trap. You see, we have a choice whether we take it or not. We can look at that bait and it looks tempting, but we have a choice whether we take it or not. I tell you this though, if you take that bait of comparison, you're taking the bait of a trap that you're never going to win against. You know, have you ever wanted something that someone else had? Just raise your hand, maybe, if you've, you've wanted something. That, yeah, so if your hand's not raised, you're either lying to yourself or you're lying to us, okay? Because we've all been kids, and as I said, the issue doesn't go away when we become adults, right? You know, we all want something at some point in our life that someone else has had. Jealousy can stem from comparison, but don't we also believe as Christians that everything that we have is to glorify God? I suppose the question then becomes, well, what could we possibly know of that we don't have that would help us to glorify God more? What could we possibly need? You know, I think things like, hmm, well, God, if I had, if I had that pay grade, I would give to church. If I had that pay grade, God, you, 
I would be able to serve you. You know, God, actually, if I had their personality, I'd be able to go tell people about you because it's their per- that's just their personality. So if I if I have that personality, I can go and share the gospel and I could sh- I could tell people about you. You know what, God, if I looked like that, if I looked like that, I'd be able to talk to people. I'd be able to live out what you've called me to do because if I looked like that, it would just make it so much easier. You know, what could we possibly know of that God has just forgotten to add into the mix for us to live out the call that he has on our life? What could we possibly know that God doesn't? Reality is, is that there is no person in this room that is better than the person next to them. I'm not better than you. You're not better than the person to the left or the right of you. I hate, sorry, sorry if you thought you were, but you're not because we have all been forgiven the same debt. And what I mean by that is there is this problem that we all have as people called sin. Sin is when we have missed the mark of what God has for us in our lives. And we all have this problem of sin because not one of us is capable of living a perfect life. But God, he loves us so much and he wanted to have a relationship with us. So what he did is he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life in our place. And he died on the cross, taking all of our sins, past, future, present, for every person who had lived, was living and was to live. He paid that penalty. He took it on himself on the cross. And he he paid the price for sin, which was death. And when he rose again, he defeated that, that power of sin, which was death. Yeah. You know, the thing that Jesus didn't then do was, well, now that I did that for you, you have to do this for me. Yeah. He didn't do that. In fact, he has forgiven us all of our debts. Every person in this room has been forgiven the same debt. And God has put a purpose on each of our lives and it is the same God that has put that purpose on your life, that has put the purpose on my life. It is the same God who has provided for you as it is for me and the person next to you. You know, what in that case is there to be jealous of? If we have the same God, if we've all been forgiven the same debt and he's given us all purpose, what is there that we could possibly be jealous of? You know, I love um, what Amy Robinson said. She's on staff here and she said this the other week. She said, jealousy means someone else's win is my loss. You know, I think that's so true. I think that's such a great line. Jealousy means someone else's win is my loss. In reality, it just wasn't your lane to walk in in the first place. If you needed it, God would have provided it for you. See, jealousy has the power to turn something that's beautiful and something that could be good And instead of seeing it as good, we see it as something to be jealous of and that creates disorder. Because where there's jealousy, there is disorder. You see, jealousy after our own selfish ambition, that is not of God. And that means it's of the enemy and wherever the enemy is, there is disorder. And so jealousy will always lead to disorder and create division. See, Saul, he idolised materialism and his own personal gain over God's commands for him. And then he idolised his kingship. He idolised his status. You see, when we become jealous, it's likely that we're starting to idolise something over God or to idolise something over what his plans are for us or what he's provided for us. See, we become jealous when we neglect to see how God is moving in our lives. Sometimes what you've got to do is stop looking around you 
at the way that God is moving in everyone else's life and actually look to God and look at the way that he's moving in your life. It can be really easy to look around and see the way that he's moving, but actually neglect to look inwards and to see the way that he's moving in your own life. You know, jealousy can stem from comparison. It can stem from this lack of thankfulness, from idolising anything other than God, perhaps from perceiving growth as something of this world as opposed to seeking, you know, treasure in heaven like the Bible talks about. It could come from chasing after happiness. But at the root of it all, jealousy comes from a desire to seek one's own personal gain over others' successes. Jealousy ends where selflessness and thankfulness begin. See, selflessness and thankfulness are the antidote to jealousy. Think about it. If Saul, if he was selfless and thankful, how could his story have played out differently? You see, there's this really interesting parallel um, that we find here. You know, the prophet Samuel that I told you about earlier, he was actually trained by this man named Eli. Now, Eli, he was a priest and he also had these two sons, right? Now, the issue with these 